Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about personal development and what a spiritual life is like. For as long as I can remember, I've been voraciously consuming good ideas. And these ideas and these things that I'm interested in have made their way into my astrology practice, but I wanted to have more conversations more explicitly about these other ideas and things that I find interesting or find helpful when it comes to being an integrated, alive, thriving person. And that's the highs and the lows, right? It's our spiritual highs or our peak experiences or our epiphanies. And it's also our shadow work or our grief work or our depth psychology work um, and how to do them all together too, where it's like, I think that studying the astrology wheel and having a sense of how all these different archetypes and areas of life interact with each other has really helped. For example, when it comes to any kind of self-improvement process, which is more kind of Virgo, it helps to include the Pisces, which is this kind of unconditional love and forgiveness and compassion so that we improve our lives from a place of love and not from a place of like masochism. And this is kind of what this episode is about. I go through the personal vignette of my path toward clean eating and veganism, the kinds of obstacles along the way, the things I've learned along the way. And I'm excited to share this episode with you because I really love food. I'm really happy with my food life. I eat vegan, um, like a plant-based diet. It's gluten-free. I don't eat cane sugar. And these restrictions that I have um, don't come from a place of control at this point. They're really aesthetic choices that I've made that make me happy, the kinds of cuisine that I've discovered through studying vegan cookbooks and learning from people who are vegans um, and integrating and practicing that has turned into a kind of lifestyle that I have like a very sensual and very happy relationship with food and I've kind of narrowed down what foods make me happy and what foods I need to cut out. And so by cutting out cane sugar, cutting out gluten, cutting out dairy and meat, again, none of that comes from a place of control, but it's been a journey um, starting with astrology, really getting really passionate about astrology and realizing from that place that I needed to get more into my body. And so getting passionate about yoga and from being passionate about yoga, thinking more about clean eating. So I share that journey in this episode along with some astrological thoughts that accompany it. And I hope that you enjoy. Hey guys, I am truly so excited to be sitting here at my desk recording um, to be telling you guys about my journey with veganism and clean eating. And there's actually a lot to this story, and I don't think that I've sat down to tell it all at once, so this will be fun. Um, and I think that part of my desire for sharing this is to share what it's actually like behind the scenes to transition into a lifestyle of veganism and clean eating. And that's basically my my agenda for the episode is sharing that personal vignette and allowing that to be inspiring in any way, um, but also to be real about what the process has looked like. I want to start out by saying that there have been times earlier in my life where meat and being a carnivore was a true primal pleasure. I used to love cooking buffalo and that was like something that brought me like a lot of deep joy was eating buffalo. I loved eating elk that had been hunted um, by someone that I knew. I loved fish. You know, so I had like a sensual relationship with meat. And I think that sometimes the dietary 
patterns that we choose have something to do with where we're at in life. That time period that meat was like a high source of pleasure for me and not throughout, like I was eating meat throughout my entire life, but there was a point towards the end of my time eating meat that it almost like peaked as an experience of like, wow, like meat is so good. It's so juicy. Like I'm just so into it, you know, and there was something very, again, primal about it. And it started to shift slowly, and here's why, I think, in terms of my own narrative tracking of events. In 2016, I started an Ashtanga yoga practice. And 2016 was pretty much the hardest, most painful, most tragic year of my life. It was so rough, and I was in a a really, really deep grief process, And Ashtanga yoga was like saving me during that time. I actually, during that time, really had to stay busy and had to stay productive because I felt like I would fall apart. Um, And so when I came to an Ashtanga yoga practice, I loved how structured it was. And it started out, I went into an immersion before starting the daily practice. And it was like really slow and gentle and easing into it. And for those of you who don't know what Ashtanga yoga is, it's a very um, structured form of yoga. It's the same. There's four different sequences. You start out with primary sequence and you do the same thing every day and you get further and further along. And so you very slowly kind of open up your flexibility and your strength. And this yoga practice was blowing my mind and it was opening my heart. Like I was doing back bends every day for the first time in my life. You know, as the practice progressed over some years, I was able to do a supported headstand or I mean handstand supported. I could do a headstand by myself. So I was getting to do things with my body that I had never done before. And as I got into these positions, like physical positions that I'd never been in before, it was lighting up parts of my brain and spirit and auric body. And I was just having a really great time. So back up to this grief time, I started to kind of pull myself up. Um, I didn't have a choice. Like I felt like my grief was quicksand. It was just so painful that I worked a lot. I ran sales on my website. And even though I was going through a grief process, I felt very competent and very able to show up for other people. I felt confident in my abilities as an astrologer. And I didn't feel like I needed to be perfect to meet other people where they were at. In fact, 2016 was a hard year for a lot of people. There was a Saturn-Neptune square, which was part of that you know, disillusionment and grief process. And because I ran sales, I actually got to work with a lot of people who couldn't normally afford healers or services. And so I worked with a lot of people who were going through some tough stuff. And I had a deepened well of compassion because of my own grief process. So that being said, I worked a lot. Um, I drank a lot of matcha tea, gave me like a good kick. And I had this yoga practice and I was starting to feel really energized and really alive. And I was falling in love with yoga. I loved that I had somewhere to go first thing in the morning so that instead of sleeping in and waking up in this fog of like hating my life and feeling like I was dead inside, which was really a place that I could have gone at that time, I would get up before the sun even came up, go to the hot you know, yoga studio, do this practice, feel like I'd gone to the spa, feel expanded, and then start my day. And so as I was experiencing this opening through doing Ashtanga yoga, a few things come into play. One is that I think that when we bond deeply with certain things, there are um, consequences and these, you know, consequences in a very neutral way right here. And part of the yogic tradition or part of yogic practice involves veganism. And so it was becoming um, part of my field of awareness that I was falling in love with this practice and I was merging with this practice that was about certain values that I wasn't necessarily living up to. I was in the asana part of it and I was feeling really awakened in my body. And so I knew that there was a pathway opening up of maybe there's other parts of this yogic tradition that I might embrace as time goes on. And then significantly, I had a dream. In this dream, 
I was driving a car and I have so many dreams, countless dreams of being in cars and the different situation of the car. Am I in the driver's seat? Am I in the passenger? Is the road clear? Is there something wrong with the car? Am I at a gas station getting fueled? Is there an obstruction to getting fuel? Um, all these different circumstances in car dreams translate to me or give me messages from my soul about how I am operating this avatar. And so what I mean by that is that I'm a soul who has incarnated on earth. And it's not to say that my body is simply a vehicle or that my vessel is simply a vehicle and to objectify it in that way. It's more to say that there's this awareness that I as a soul have jumped into this avatar and my relationship with this avatar is somewhat symbolically similar to a relationship with driving a car. And so having a dream where like the car is veering out of control, you know, can be those like that fear of like my ego feeling out of control. Um, as in like from an ego place, it's like, I feel like I don't have control out of in my life or something like that. Um, so there's all these different ways that the car dream kind of helps me get a read on how I'm going in this journey of being an incarnate human. So I know that's a little bit the far out, but that's that's what it is. And so in this particular car dream, I was in the passenger seat. The car wasn't moving. It was just kind of a paused moment. And I had this yoga mat covering my body and up to my mouth. And a voice in the dream told me, you're using your yoga practice to hide the fact that you're eating jam. You're using your yoga practice to hide the fact that you're eating jam. And so, okay, I'm in a car, a car jam, something that's stopping the car from moving, stopping the flow of momentum. And I wasn't actually, I wasn't, didn't think about it in terms of like fruit jam or something like that. So I thought, you know, what jam am I eating? And so I asked my angels, my guides, I asked in prayer, like, please help me discover what is it that I'm eating that is jam, so to say. And within a few days, synchronicities aligned in a very kind of mystical and clear way that I won't kind of like go into tangents about um, that showed me that it was dairy. And I knew, you know, my mom is allergic to dairy. She knows that. And okay, I guess it is worth sharing what the synchronicity was, is that I was hanging out with someone and he asked me what my blood type was. And so I asked my mom what my blood type was and found out and I looked up the diet you know, this person was telling me about blood type diet. So I looked it up and apparently my blood type isn't supposed to eat dairy. And I remembered that my mom is allergic to it. And I thought about, well, I do eat yogurt and cheese every single day. And so I decided to cut out dairy cold turkey. Now I'd had times in my life where I knew that that was a good idea, um, that I'd heard that maybe dairy can inflame an acne problem, um, but I didn't have the willpower or the desire yet. And suddenly because of the dream, there was this like sudden clarity about, okay, I'm done eating dairy. And as I cleared dairy out of my life, my skin did clear up. I had issues with cystic acne where I always had like at least one painful cystic pimple at all times. And it was really upsetting. You know, I didn't like that. And so it felt very liberating to realize that like, oh, this is the key. No more dairy. My skin starts to clear up. So I did that for a while. And veganism was kind of on the edge of my consciousness still because of my yoga practice. Then I moved to the Bay Area. I moved to San Francisco first. Now I'm in Oakland. But I moved to the Bay Area to go to grad school and the first month that I was in the Bay Area, I moved here early a month before school started so that I could get my apartment set up and just kind of get grounded in the area. And it was actually kind of a hard month. I was leaving my past hometown from that grief process. You know, part of my grief process was like, I have to be productive. I have to do something with my life. So I pursued grad school and I moved, got a change of scenery. And so moving to a new place alone and not meeting people yet for a month was actually more difficult than I had imagined. 
And I kind of like, I would tell my friends or like my mom at the time, like, I feel like I'm having a crisis a day. Like it was a lot. It was eclipse season and there was like mercury retrograde. Um, so similar to this moment that we've just kind of gotten out of that was happening in like July ish of 2017. But I noticed during this time that my relationship with food didn't really feel healthy or nourishing, that I was eating from a place of stress. And I had a few kind of wake up calls around food that shook me up a little bit and nothing like terribly dramatic, just dramatic to me. The first was that I was eating meat every single day and I craved it at every meal. And I just wanted, I wanted tacos. I wanted like Thai food with ground meat. And I was just eating a lot of meat. And I started to feel a little bit dissociated while I was eating meat and just thinking like, why am I doing this? Like it, there was this kind of weird numbing feeling while I was eating. And I just felt a little bit more aware, a little bit more detached, like, oh, I'm eating meat right now. This is kind of weird. The second wake-up call during this time was that I went into Target to get something for my apartment. I don't really remember. But I remember that the food section in Target, so like the sugar, candy, Pringles, Cheez-Its, like all of that had this intense aura to me. Like it was like screaming at me, like eat me. And I just like wanted it. Like all the cells in my being were kind of like lighting up, like eat this stuff. And that was not any kind of stuff that I actually wanted to eat. But I had this weird experience of like lucidity of like, it feels like the biome of my body or like the um, gut bacteria in me or whatever is like actually hijacking my brain right now and making all this food that I think is junk food look incredibly delicious to me. And it was just bizarre. So those two things combined with food not feeling nourishing to me and me just having these kind of this weird relationship to food while I was in a new place and feeling stressed out gave me pause. I found during this time that I couldn't change it. I felt kind of like addicted, like I had to eat junk food sometimes and I had to, you know, as long as it didn't have dairy in it and I had to eat meat every day. And I, I just kind of sat with myself and I watched and I was just like, I am looking forward to this karma ending. Like I'm at a place with this habit right now where I could try to control it. But if I tried to control what I was eating, I would just binge and eat all the stuff that I was trying to control myself from not eating. And I was like, I haven't gotten to the root here. I haven't figured it out. So I'm just going to, I went through a phase of non-judgment. Like I'm not going to judge myself. I'm going to be a passive non-judgmental, non-judgmental witness anytime I'm eating, no matter what I'm eating. And that helped. And then I had an experience, um, school started up and I was navigating living in this new city and starting grad school. And I had the transit of Saturn crossing my midheaven. And so when any planet crosses the angles in the chart, it's really a felt experience. It's a big deal. And Saturn crossing the midheaven, unless it kind of retrogrades and go back, you know, goes back over again, it really happens like once every 28, 29 years. Mine happened to retrograde back and forth um, over the midheaven. So I got to experience that exact moment and I'd put it in my calendar the exact day, the exact time. I got to experience what it felt like. This was the second time that Saturn had crossed my midheaven. So I'd already experienced it once back when I lived in Olympia, Washington. And I was experiencing it again in my new apartment in San Francisco and I was so tired. I felt so weary. I felt just like leadened to the floor. And so I got into meditation and I asked, what can I do on a practical level to make my life easier right now? And the first thing that whispered up to me was get a food subscription. As soon as I'd moved into the city, I guess apparently advertising knows how to track a lot of different things, but I started getting all these ads about food subscription services, which had never even crossed my mind when I lived in Olympia. I didn't even really know that they existed or maybe I just thought it, you know, it didn't have space in my consciousness. And so I found a food delivery service that 
had a vegan option. And so keep in mind that I'd had this weird dissociated experience with meat up until then. And I thought, you know what? Like I am having difficulty. I'm so stressed out that planning meals and keeping my life together and being a grad student and running my business and living by myself and keeping my house clean, like it's just too much. What if someone else plans my meals for me? So for about a month or two, I became vegan because I subscribed to a meal delivery service and I chose the vegan option. And I decided to go vegan additionally because I was still really in love with my Ashtanga practice and I was curious about how I might feel different in the experience or in my internal experience with yoga if I stopped crossing the wires. Like I was saying a prayer every day or an invocation before the yoga practice that when it translates into English says something about not harming any living beings. And yet I was still eating meat. So I just wondered what would happen if I aligned more with this prayer, this invocation that I was speaking every day. What was really cool about doing this meal subscription service at that point was that I lost my addiction to meat. I think that we get really addicted to the foods that we eat because as we, you know, this is my understanding that as we eat, it affects our body chemistry and the microbiome. And this microbiome sends signals back up to our brain that relates to our food cravings. So we tend to crave the foods that we habitually eat. And letting someone else take control, this like food delivery company of my diet for a month or two really helped me not give in to those cravings. Like I was eating delicious food. I really loved what they sent me and I stopped craving meat. So that was in, I guess, like the fall, winter time, I think October-ish of um, 2017. And I've been vegan ever since. And it's been amazing. There's been some things that I've learned. I think that the storyline developed significantly last year, last summer, when I met a Taurus who was a professional chef for many years. And this was someone that I dated for a period of time. And he taught me a bunch of stuff about cooking. And I would teach him about astrology, which was really a fun trade. Um, I've enjoyed learning cooking from people. That's one of the ways, you know, if you're watching like a cooking show or something, you're watching people cook and then you somehow figure out how to do it. It's like watching people dance and then figuring out the moves. And so I really liked the way that this tourist person was with food. He had a philosophy around food that pretty much changed my life. Um, One time he told me that he, when he was learning how to cook, he would get cookbooks and read them cover to cover. And my mind was blown. I was like, you read cookbooks cover to cover. It never occurred to me to do that. I thought that cookbooks were something to skim, like just get the utility out of it, look at the recipes. But I started to actually sink deeper into cookbooks, read the introduction, read the sections where the chef writing the book tells you about how they keep their kitchen stocked and why they choose certain ingredients. And I started to realize that different chefs writing these books had different cosmologies about food. You know, some cookbooks are like, don't use oil. This is like an oil-free cookbook and whatever. And other chefs are like, oil is great for you. Just don't have these kinds of fats, but these are the good fats. So there's all these different opinions about how we should consume food, right? And so by getting a bunch of different information and sampling some different ideas, just as I had been doing in the years prior of kind of like editing and building my food life slowly, I start to learn, you know, what kind of foods work with me and what don't. I don't like dairy. No more dairy, you know? Um... Eat Feel Fresh by Sahara Rose was a huge evolution in my life because it was the first time that Ayurveda made sense to me. She really translated it into a modern context. When I tried to read about Ayurveda before then, I was just like, this doesn't make sense. Like the descriptions sound kind of grotesque of the doshas. Um, And then when I read her book, it's like she really translated it to a millennial audience. And so I started to cook with her book. The experience that I started to have with cookbooks too is that I would buy these like vegan cookbooks and often it's vegan and gluten-free. 
And there's an immense variety of creativity and in this type of cuisine. Sometimes when people find out that someone is vegan and they eat gluten-free, it's like, well, what the fuck do you eat? And it's like, I eat a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of options. But reading these cookbooks is part of what's educated me on that. But I will actually follow recipes to the T, taste it, and then edit it from that point. So I don't have that kind of attitude with cookbooks of like, oh, I just look at it for inspiration and then do my own thing. That's fine and all, but I want to learn from this person. And for me, learning from people who write cookbooks is following their instructions exactly and like mastering their style. That's even something about, um, I think the book Mastery by Robert Greene talks about when you're studying with a teacher, when you first start out with them, follow their model, like do what they're telling or like, you know, it's that kind of like rebellious, like, I'm going to do what I want. Like, that's fine. But if you really want to learn from someone fully, like really absorb their knowledge, he was describing kind of the way to be a really receptive student. Um, So I feel that way a little bit about, you know, and obviously that's not to be kind of in like a shadow guru way, like submit um, to authority or like negate your own intuition. I think it has something to do with like when you're studying under someone that you feel an attraction toward or you trust them, it's like taking in fully what they're offering um, is a way to like create a really strong bond with that teaching. So that's how I treat cookbooks is like I follow them to the T, taste it, And then realize like where I differ from that chef. There was like one cookbook that I really love the recipes in and I would like put in as much maple syrup as she said and I would taste it and I'd be like, whoa, this is like way sweeter than I need. So as I started to cook with her more through using her book, I would just decrease the amount of maple syrup and it tasted better to me. So this was the other thing too, is that food after I learned more about cooking, you know, I've had different cooking evolutions in my life. I've cooked with different people. That is one of my favorite things. Like having cooking chemistry with someone is like makes my Taurus moon just so happy. So my cooking life really evolved from cooking with this really masterful chef. Um, He knew a lot about vegan cuisine. He had worked as a personal chef. He did plating. So like everything he made looked beautiful. And so I just kind of watched what he did and absorbed it. And then it was fun to like make food for him and him to be like impressed. Um, And that made me feel good, like that I had absorbed, you know, these teachings or like just watched him cook and was able to get it. Like I could feel what he was throwing down, you know. But after this experience, I started to notice that food was like the earth of Venus, that Taurus really relates to food. Um... Taurus is ruled by Venus, as is Libra. And Taurus is Earth Venus, whereas Libra is Air Venus. And so some of the beauty that's associated with Libra has a lot to do with intellectual sophistication and high art and smells and music. You know how smells and music pass through the air. Libra is about relationship and harmonizing. But Earth Venus, Taurus, is about our relationship with the body, like what tastes good, what feels good, sensuality. And so I started to experience that food was a form of art and that the ways that I could like intuit when certain food was like ready, you know, it wasn't about just like the book might say like cook this for like 10 minutes or something. And that's a guideline, right? But you start to feel into when things are ready, when it's time to throw in another ingredient. And that's kind of like the intuitive, artistic, or like craft part of it. And so I started to feel like food was speaking to me in this new way. And I think the gift, uh, most importantly, that seemed to come out of this was that I started to enjoy cooking in of itself. I became fascinated with how to master certain dishes that I was learning and how to add new skills or how to use new appliances in the kitchen to the point where I wasn't even necessarily thinking about the end result. 
I was just enjoying the process of cooking and feeling kind of like if you ever played The Sims, um, the computer game, and how when your Sim is like learning a new skill, there's like a little bottle above their head that starts to fill up with green. That's how I felt every time I was cooking. Like I was just having an experience. And Uranus had entered Taurus too. So it was like this evolution in sensuality and in food. And it made me so happy. So I'm going to include in the show notes some of my favorite cookbooks. If that's something you're interested in diving into, I think that it's a good combination of like learning from these chef authors, but also if you know someone who's a really good chef, even asking them if you can cook with them or even watch them. I know that's weird, but like, I'm that kind of freak. Like, let me watch you cook. I want to see what you're doing and pick up what you're throwing down. I also like to cook with people. um, But if someone has like certain chef skills that I'm like, ooh, like I want to I want to figure that out. Um, I don't have any problem asking them if they'll teach me. And then about clean eating. So I didn't really pick up the thread about sugar, about cane sugar. As I was looking through all these kind of vegan, gluten-free cookbooks, I learned a lot about allergen-free cooking. I do use a lot of like nuts, um, so not on that level, though I also know how to cook without nuts. But There's a lot of cuisine coming out currently about not using dairy or not using wheat. Um, And there's a lot of possibilities that come out of that. And so is also the case with cane sugar, that we don't need to put cane sugar in things and that we don't even need to eat cane sugar in desserts that we buy from stores. If you go to certain health food stores, there's often desserts. You can look at the labels. I've been looking at labels for a long time. I mean, I've been into health my whole life. I've just had different evolutions of it. I remember in high school how it was like a revolution for me to know what like polyunsaturated or, oh, it was partially hydrogenated soybean oil. When I saw that on an ingredient list of something, I wouldn't eat it. I completely cut that ingredient out of my life because it was something I learned, you know, so I pick up little things here and there about what's kind of like not so good for you. And I see it on the label and I don't eat those things. And I'm fine with that. But cane sugar. It's like in everything, you know? And so I started to notice that there were all these other kind of sweets or desserts that were sweetened with maple syrup or coconut sugar. And I started to, like, I have a sweet tooth for sure. And I pretty much like to eat something sweet every day, but I started to replace my intake of sugar by making treats and like making desserts that were um, sugar-free cane sugar-free that is, you know, I would use stevia or coconut sugar or something like that, or buying things that were sugar-free. And so I basically, I got to satisfy my sweet craving, but not have cane sugar anymore. And why this mattered so much to me was that the relationship that I had with cane sugar was addictive and really unhealthy. And I think a lot of people are addicted to cane sugar, but for me, it felt a little bit more extreme. The same way that there's some people who can't really have a drink because they have a problem with alcohol, that's how I was starting to feel about sugar. It was like every time I ate something sugary, it was sending a spike through my body chemistry that I could feel that was telling me to eat more sugar, to eat more food in general. So it was kind of scrambling my natural hunger cues, but it also made me feel a little bit crazy. Like I would feel kind of wired and I wouldn't feel that well, but I would just want more of that thing that I just ate. And I was like, this is like crack. Like, why am I eating this? Um, and so I think that when it comes down to making dietary shifts in our life or being more mindful about the food that we're consuming, this is really connected to the spiritual path. I think... Um, To even back up this story further, the whole reason that I got into yoga was because I was getting so blasted out on my upper chakra levels. I was writing about astrology. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I have um, this uh, like clairvoyant thing where I see lights and I also see swirling colors um, that relate to energies. And so when I get into a meditative state or when I'm working with astrology, like I'll see these lights. And so I was sitting at my desk for hours a day in 2015, 2016, writing about astrology. 
no, this was 2015, sorry, spending hours a day writing. And when I was done, I would be like literally just seeing tunnels of color wash over me, like psychedelic, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't on any drugs or anything. It was just my experience. And it didn't feel like it was rooted or grounded in my body. So I decided to do yoga. So this is the thing that I've really noticed in my life and is something that I think is really amazing is that when we invest in something that we have a charge or even like an erotic draw towards. And so erotic doesn't necessarily mean sexual, but it's like life force. Like for me, astrology and pursuing a lifestyle around astrology and being a career astrologer had such force. It gripped my consciousness. It was like, it was the life force coursing through me and I surfed it. And it started to bleed out into other areas of my life where it made me realize like, wow, okay, I'm so stimulated spiritually and intellectually by this practice. I would also make new choices in my life um, based on the insights that came through with astrology. So I was grounding it through kind of gaining this strategic consciousness or this um like overview or bigger picture consciousness where because I could see these different archetypes and the wisdoms of them that I could make different choices and bring them down to earth in my actual experience. So there was that. But then it was like, well, my body, you know, where's Mars? Am I getting a sweat? Like, am I feeling like blood and like life force, like pumping through me or not? And so to build a better relationship with Mars and to be a more holistic person, it was like, I need to move my body. And I started with yoga because I knew that even Kundalini yoga, actually, I knew that if I did something spiritual, which is where I already had an excess of strength and connection, that I could build a bridge between my spiritual life and my athletic life. And once I developed a consistent yoga practice and started to get positively addicted to yoga where it's like I do it every day because it feels good and it's not worth it to me to not do it. So it's not, I don't do yoga from a place of shame, like, oh, I have to do this every day or I'm bad. I do it every day from a place of joy, but I went through the discipline process of doing yoga, whether or not I felt like it until my body became addicted to it. So I worked that into my life. And once I had like their relationship with yoga a little bit more developed, it changed my dietary life and so on. So I think that there is this way to like actually um, wherever there is an intensity of life force in our life, if we invest in that fully, it will make space for the next thing. And we can use the charge um, or the energy that we're getting from investing in the things that we really care about to invest in the things in our life that need a little bit more life force and need a little bit more energy. Something else that comes to mind with all of this is that I think one of the things that kind of inhibits or empowers dietary shifts that we make has something to do with our relationship with our tribe. And I know that some people struggle with this sense of like, well, if I eat healthy or if I have these kind of dietary restrictions, like I stop eating gluten or I become a vegan, that now I can't just go out to eat wherever with people. And I think when people say that too, it's like at that point, you're, what you're putting in your body is like a dietary thing, maybe just isn't your highest priority and that's fine. For me, it became a really high priority because of the sensitivity that I had built with my spiritual practice and my introspective practices. And I just was feeling the effects of everything I was eating. And so I had to clean up my eating. But also, it wasn't like I was having a great time at IHOP with anyone. Like I wasn't hanging out at Denny's and feeling fabulous. Like that just wasn't where the people that I felt connected with even were hanging out. But also when I was having my spiritual awakening in 2012, I had a, another thing with food. Like food is a, a big important part of my life. I mean, in a heightened way, it feels like. But 
during that spiritual awakening, one of the features of it was that food started to glow and have an aura around it when there was something that looked good and luscious, like I should eat it. Like it almost felt like being an animal in the forest and having like a sixth sense of like what food is going to nourish me and what food is poisonous. And so then additionally, certain foods looked really sickly and disgusting to me. And I felt disillusioned that there was like masses of low quality and really poisonous food being marketed and eaten by masses of people. Like I was so disturbed and so angry about that. And that is something that still bothers me, but not enough to make me fly off the handle like I did in 2012 when I had that whole big experience. Um, But during that time, one of the things I came home to my family with that I was trying to like convert them and teach them about my new ways after my awakening was that they should totally change their diet. It was like I could go through the kitchen and be like, this is poison. This is bad. This is what you should eat. And they were like really insulted and affronted. And they're like, stop. Like, we're just no, like they wanted to eat what they wanted to eat. And there was more of this sense of pressure of like, why can't you just eat what we're eating? And I think that that happens in a lot of families where like the kid, young adult, whatever, leaves home, discovers a new way of eating, comes back to the tribe. And there's a kind of like sharing of like, here's what I've learned, you know, so there there are generations teaching other generations about what to eat. Um, Later, actually, my mom became a vegan even before I did and has said to me, she's like, you were right back then. And she's like into organic food and all of that. So the change happened and whatever. But I remember during that time when food was such a contention in a family situation that I got this like really visceral realization that food is related to tribalism, that we create energetic bonds based on the foods that we're imbibing. And this actually plays out um, even with like herbs, like if you develop a relationship with a certain plant like mugwort or damiana or something like that you kind of enter a certain web of other people who are also bonded to Damiana or Mugwort. And so you tend to run into them more or like, you know, you're part of that web with them. And so if you stop eating the thing that everyone in your tribe is eating and you start eating differently, there is a kind of alienation that can ensue or it's like you're breaking away from the hearth fire or the circle or the the medicine that everyone's gathering around, um, the same thing that everyone's imbibing that's connecting them at this kind of chemical or energetic level. That's kind of a big deal, is it not? And so I think that with this, um, the way that I eat, like, I don't really push my diet on other people. I rejoice and I'm like super excited and stoked to share the way that I eat with other people and to eat you know, like when someone has the same kind of dietary vibe as me or like can teach me new things about health or whatever, I'm happy as a clam. Like I'm so into that. But I don't, I kind of just let people be, let people eat what they want to eat. Um, because similar to like having like a religion or a belief system, you can feel really illuminated about what you've discovered and you want to share it with everyone. And part of having a brand where I talk about astrology and sharing astrology, it's like I connect with what my truth is and what I'm excited about. And I share it with people in kind of a detached or non-attached way of like, here it is. And we can talk about it. We can interact about it. But I'm not going into spaces and being like, you should believe in astrology and here's why. And I'm also not pushing my diet on other people who it may not be relevant for. And it's interesting too that when you become vegan or something like that. And I don't know how the environment is about it right now is that you can have people who they get offended right away. Or like, actually this happened recently where I was like at a restaurant and asking if they had vegan options. And the guy with the waiter like worked really hard to find it. And then he comes back and he makes a joke about like, you know, I love eating meat. Like, And it's like people have this kind of need to like, if someone has an opinion, to reply or retort back with their opinion. And so I think that it's interesting with that where like, I just keep my veganism, I talk about it in a certain way that is non-intrusive. And it's pretty rare that people give me shit about it. But I know other people 
especially like I think that this is part of the the work or the hope of this podcast in a sense is like encouraging people to identify with their truth, um, to believe in themselves, to trust their intuition. And so it literally at the end of the day, if you eat a certain way and someone else doesn't like that, it literally doesn't matter. If you connect with it, it doesn't matter. But the reason that I recorded this podcast and wanted to talk about it was because clean eating and veganism is such a continued joy in my life. The way that I'm eating has felt more like luscious and more enlivening um, and more nourishing than ever. And so if anything in this podcast has been inspiring to you on your journey with food, um, great, you know, and if you've listened this far, I suppose it has been interesting at the least. One last thing that I think I've said in this episode in a variety of ways is that the different spheres of our life are connected. So when we're on a spiritual path or a personal development path, it also connects back to the body and our movement practices and how we're eating. And similarly, if we're really on a fitness path or we're on a a health path, psychological and spiritual stuff comes up. Eating healthy or eating clean or like having a good relationship with the body, like one of the hurdles that often will come up is this sense of like spiritual masochism or something where it's like we're doing these things out of guilt or we feel guilty if we eat junk food or we feel guilty if we miss a workout. And astrology has really been a massive support for me in that because of understanding the archetypes and the natural polarities. And so Virgo, for example, is the part of our experience where we're really refining ourselves and we're becoming crafty and we're becoming aware of all the little nuts and bolts. And by being able to see the details, we get into the sense of what's wrong, what's off, what's missing, what can we fix? And so when we're really geeky about something or like for me with health, like knowing like which oils are rancid at certain heats and like what those heats are and like what oils are better to use in certain situations, like those are all little details, right? And the opposite polarity of Pisces is about forgiveness and compassion and everything's okay. So whenever we get into a space where we're really judgmental of every little thing that's wrong about us, and therefore we're also so critical about other people, you know, or we're, we're so constricted around our health and fitness that it's not coming from a place of joy or love. It's like about self-flagellation. It's like, I'm not good enough. I have to become better. That's an excess of Virgo without the Pisces that compassion. It's like, you're okay. This is all okay. You are love, right? But then if we're all Pisces, we don't have, you know, there's, it's oceanic. There's no boundaries. Everything's okay. If we're all Pisces, sometimes we're not paying attention to the details and being discerning. And for me, you know, I've talked about the Taurus-Scorpio axis. I think with Taurus, it's like food, right? And Scorpio is like these compulsions and addictions that I had to certain kind of foods and I had to break the bonds that I had to certain foods by stopping eating them because they were affecting my microbiome, right? With the Pisces Virgo, it's like a lot of my life path here has been about being so in the Pisces, so dreamy, so mystical, so connected to other realms, so able to travel in the higher chakras. And that's all great, right? But how do I incarnate? How do I be here on earth? And so the Virgo like routines and practices have really enhanced um, the heavenly feelings of Pisces that I feel I have access to. And so at this point, eating kind of consciously or eating mindfully is a way to build a bridge between the mundane, the so-called mundane, the earthly, And by adding health and vitality to that layer of life, there's just a certain buoyancy or joy um, that comes out of it on an emotional level. And so all of this that I'm saying, it's not to say that I've mastered any of this or that I'm perfect at it. I feel really proud of how far I've come and what my day-to-day life looks like. And there's always little things I want to improve, right? And so as I'm self-refining and as I'm self-improving, I have to hold some of the archetypal realities in mind, like Pisces, that forgiveness, that compassion. 
And it's a whole space for this process so that it's not about masochism or about not being good enough. All right, guys, I wish you all the best on your own health journeys. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. Please share a screenshot of it on your Instagram story and tag me at Sabrina Monarch. I've also been really appreciating your reviews. I got one the other day that touched me so much. I'm going to read it. I mean, they all touch me a lot, um, and I haven't really shared any of them on the show yet. So this person wrote, I met Sabrina through mutual friends last year and instantly sensed what a special soul she was. I'm currently living in quiet in quite a bit of isolation in South America and have so enjoyed listening to her podcast on my daily commutes. The wisdom she shares is so valuable and has helped me helped push me forward on my spiritual journey. No matter what you're looking for, this podcast speaks truths you might not have known that you needed to hear. Looking forward to finishing them all and keeping my fingers crossed that new episodes keep coming for a long time. XOXO. It's just so nice. Like I have gained a certain kind of ability or flow with like when you're sitting here alone talking into a microphone, you're not really just talking to yourself. I know I'm talking to an audience, but I'm talking to an audience that's tuning in in the future. So getting the feedback back about what you think about the episodes, and especially when you leave a review, that's so helpful because it increases the visibility of the show. It just means a lot. It's like the dialogue. And I'm just so happy to hear that these ideas mean something to you. Um, And it just lights my soul up sharing ideas about the things that I care about and the things I feel connected to, I feel like is my life purpose. And I just feel so much joy to be making this podcast. And if you're new here, I do also write weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com. I love writing the forecasts and truth be told, it is writing those forecasts that has set off this whole yoga journey, this whole like clean eating journey. Um, because having my own business or producing content has had me have to level up my self-care, right? And so as we invest in the things that matter to us, it can lift up our whole life um, as a result. And that's also, you know, a topic in of itself, thinking about process-based or kind of cultivating a life. There's many layers to it, right? And so these are things to talk about more on the show as it continues. All right, everyone, have a blessed day. Mm-hmm.